Hey everybody, since we are either starting a new series or reading a standalone book, I am jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal, and we are not reading any books that depict real people as their characters in any way or are based on historical events. Second rule is that we are judging everything off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, or the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come from personal experience, not professional training. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all listeners, so please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. Today we are reviewing The Golden Compass, book one of the His Dark Materials trilogy. In this book, Lyra Silvertongue finds herself and other children in danger of losing their very souls and embarks on a quest to save everyone. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin, and welcome to Books That Burn. Today's book is The Golden Compass by Philip Pullman, book one of the His Dark Materials trilogy. And let's start off with our factions. Nicole, did you want to say any of the factions? Oh, yeah. So, sorry. Uh, so our, fir- our factions are the Jordan College Scholars, Lord Asriel, the Street Kids, College Kids, Mostly Servants Children, Townies, Egyptians, Bricklayers Kids, all those uh, Mrs. Coulter, the Egyptians as a group, uh, boat-dwelling travelers who helped Lyra on her journey, one of them nursed her as a baby, Ma Costa, the Gobblers, aka the General Oblation Board, the Witches, and the Armored Bears. And on to our minor character spotlight. Oh, poor, poor Tony Macarios. Tony Macarios gets so, so much misery in so few pages. Yeah. Every time we've talked about this kid, we have talked about how short his story arc is. He gets a couple of pages at the start of the book and six, seven, seven pages in the latter part. Like less than 10 total, I think. It's, it's the right amount to get the point of across given how he is a minor character. Lyra's the main character. But there is so, there's so much in these few pages. Tony is one of, one of those kids that Lyra, uh, runs and plays with. And let's just start with the fact that his mom doesn't know how old he is, doesn't know who his father is, which is not framed in the narrative as something negative against her, as in like, well, she just had so many partners. Like, no, it's framed as, her brain is so rotted from alcohol that she kind of maybe sort of might remember a little bit the events around getting pregnant with Tony. And she doesn't really remember a lot. (sighs) His mom is affectionate back when he initiates, 
but it's not in a caring kind of way. It's more of a, oh, my kid hugged me, I better hug them also kind of a way. Yeah, so we've got bouncing from neglect to straight up abduction. Oh, yeah. Because his mom is around but not active, and then he gets <laughs> abducted. He is- uh, Quick side note, when we say mm-hmm. not active, we mean not active as a human being. We don't just mean not active in his life. He takes care of her and makes sure that she eats, drinks, sleeps. Yeah, it's not like she's too busy to remember to do things. She just is doing none of them. She she literally just is an alcoholic and that's and doesn't even function as a person. That's her entire character yeah. that we get. Um so, so that's not a, that's not hyperbole when she say we say that she does nothing. Yeah. Uh then Tony gets abducted. Well, when we say we don't know how old he is, it, it like he's younger. He feels like he's younger than 10. It's like somewhere. Oh, just as like a character. Yeah, it's like he's it's not like, oh, I'm in my 20s and I'm not sure if I'm 22 or 23. No, he's a little no. kid. Yeah. Um he's his Damon still his Damon still changes shapes. Um and then we don't see him for he gets kidnapped and then we don't see him at all for 150ish page uh, uh 100 <laughs> exactly 150 pages. He's gone. Oh boy. And when we come back to him, he is the first example that Lyra meets of a severed child, one where the daemon has been cut away. And here is where we're going to kind of frame like the central horrific thing in this book that adults are doing to children are big like magical analog for all of the terrible stuff that real world adults can do to people including children in this case um it is a magical lobotomy that gets yeah. framed as being magical castration and i think that's kind of important to talk about how that switcheroo is happening because the adults are pretending that this is totally fine because we make castrati like that's actually like they don't use the term castrati but basically they have no but they do describe, they do describe it. it yeah, yeah. so they're saying it's okay that we're severing and they use the language of severing it's okay that we're severing this mm-hmm. part that we think of as part of someone's soul from the other part of their soul basically um c- kind of like a mind body spirit you got your mind and then your body and then your spirit is your daemon mhm and i i want to dwell a little bit on trying to downplay this as being still a terrifying thing <laughs> like um or I don't know if this is the angle you wanted on it for this. Um, I don't know. Full disclosure, to- we yeah. we were actually re-recording this book because we got deep into like arguing about nuances last time. And this was one of those where we started talking about it and then it was 20 minutes later. Yeah. So I don't actually know if we want to go into it. So we can, we can be really like brief and succinct with it. I do think it's... So here's why I want to talk about this it's thing important. in particular for Tony. I want to talk about it in particular because to a certain extent, this is the reason the character is in the book. And I feel like it does a disservice to not use 
Tony as the opportunity to talk about this, since narratively, that's why. That's true. I just, um, side note, I will probably edit my own comment, but I just want you to know, if we talk about this and then 10 minutes happens, that's it. We're, that's all we're talking about. No, I, 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 that's why I'm bringing it up. I think this is worth having. This is our the, thing. Okay. All right. We have so much abandonment of children across all the books we talk about. This is the unique thing. For Tony. So with Tony Macarios, he gets kidnapped and magically lobotomized. And the for the rest of this trilogy, the adults, like even just specifically in, in this book alone, and also continuing throughout the next two books, the adults spend a bunch of time talking about how this is for their own good. And it's totally like, it makes everything better. And it's just like a little cut. And there's a bit where they talk about how we can do this to kids because, I mean, we uh, castrate uh, prepubescent boys so that we can have pretty little voices in our choir. (laughs) And given that this book is written by someone who was extremely negative of, uh, I think, religion in general, but the Catholic Church in particular. Oh, uh, just like as an author? Yeah. No, this is, yeah. and you, from this trilogy alone, you can tell that. Um, mm. Had you not had this discussed before in that light? I have had oh, discussions I with d- people I about this. I don't talk to people about how authors do or don't portray <laughs> different uh, religions in books. <laughs> uh, side note that we should cut. That's why the whole like, oh, like, look how God aged and he's the ancient of days. And then he's in that litter and he frays apart in the wind. Like, wait, what? that kind of. Do you remember that? Say it again. In the in the third book, the Almighty steps out of the carriage and then disintegrates. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, like the the author killed God in these books. That's true. <laughs> I just don't think about that. Yeah, I I have I have talked with people about this anyway. So with uh so with this lobotomy, where they try to justify it by saying it's okay, it's just magical cast magical castration um yeah and so there's several layers to that there's One, a lot of even layers if it is that. just magical castration that's still that's, that's still bad that's still castration without consent on a child who is underage without a parent kidnapped like child being kidnapped from their home and then castrated by strangers with no consenting party of any mm-hmm. kind. It's yeah. an it's an unnecessary forced medical procedure that is being done to this kid. Like even if it, even if their analogy was accurate, it's still awful. Right. And but it's not that is <laughs> kind of layer two. <laughs> right. So here's where we have a magical analog for a real world thing, and this one has an explicit link. Yeah. This is not us trying to find a link this is stated in the text right we can do this magical thing because we do this non-magical thing sorry if you hear my cat she's meowing at me i don't know why yeah so that is tony macarius and it's it's really sad because i guess the only other thing with him i want to kind of i guess mention we don't have to like dig into it but like it's not just and we'll talk about this more with our our um 
our other topics with our main character, but it's not just that he was neglected and abused and abandoned and kidnapped and hurt and like it's not just all that there was a moment that we we talked about extensively a couple times with each other where at the end so his his daemon was was cut from him that's the that's the medical castrate and medical lobotomy that we're talking about a piece of magical lobotomy a piece of who he was was cut off and separated from him forcibly by strangers he was clutching when lyra finds him again at the end of the book he is clutching was it a fish yeah it's a dried piece of fish it's a dried piece of fish it's just a piece of food and we get this implicit piece of the text that basically points to it being it's the thing that he's latched onto emotionally because he's lost this piece of himself because normally he would normally normally the piece he would of hold himself his cut away is external, like the daemons are. Yeah, they're physical things. They're yeah, they interact with environments. They they are they are separate but connected creatures. And you technically, to the human. can interact with someone else's daemon, but you do not. Yeah, there's unsettling implications if you do. But no, but he's he's clutching this piece of dead fish, and then he dies. And the adults who are there in the boat were just like, mm, oh, trash. <laughs> they threw the fish. One of them threw the fish to the dogs. Yeah. And there's this. And, and Lyra gets so incredibly angry because, and in this moment, you kind of get this feeling of like, like she knew why he was holding on to this thing. But even if he wasn't, that was the only thing that he cared about in the world when he died. And the adults didn't even care enough to notice. And they threw it away as trash. Yeah. And it's just this this awful heartbreak moment where you kind of go, man, <laughs> even yeah. at the end, this kid was not treated with respect. Yeah. At all. I just didn't want that to get lost. All right. So on to Lyra. Um, for Lyra, we have two topics. and. The first one is uh, general neglect. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple different kinds of it. Uh, Lyra, in general, has a mix between adults taking too little and too much interest her. Interest, sorry. Has a mix of adults taking too little and too much interest in her. And neglect is the too little side of things. She grew up as an orphan had no consistent caretakers. I mean, there was consistency in the sense that once someone was a scholar at Jordan, they might have been a scholar there for a while, but they were not her parents. Uh, and the Jordan scholars weren't, like, divvying up childcare duties no, or they anything kind of, that structured or caring. And there's a bit where, you know, she knows all sorts of random subjects because whatever someone was researching at the time if she was also interested she'd hang around and learn a little bit and yeah. then she'd wander off and do something else like play in the street wars with other kids mm -hmm. uh she grows up calling the person who's actually her father her uncle she doesn't know that he's her father until basically just after the book starts and she grows up thinking both her parents are dead so the ways in which lyra had kind of too little uh, of the adults in her life. She's an orf orphan. The scholars are not consistently taking care of her. She's in street wars with other kids. 
and she thinks that her parents are dead and that her dad is her uncle. And like, it's weird. So you were talking about this before. Like, it's weird when she has this, she has like that knowledge of the different subjects, but it's not complete and it's it's mm-hmm. pendant on her own whims. Yeah. So she's interested in this a little bit and it happens to be something that somebody else is studying. And so for a little bit that intersects and she learns, I don't remember which examples they were, but like a There's like a bit astronomy, of astronomy, I think. Yeah. Was astronomy one. was one like of them. She knows all the stars and then nothing else because she was like, man, I'm done now. Yeah. Because she's like- 11 or 12 when these books start. And for those of you at home, you will hear my cat purring a little bit because she desperately wants the food that I'm eating after we're done recording. And she is in my face drooling because she wants it and she's purring at me. And she just stuck her, she just stuck her nose super close to my mic. Well, Discord filters out like background sounds, but Audacity will not. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, and she, it's also really like- Lyra, not your cat. Yeah, Lyra, not my cat. Lyra, like, the relationship she has with her parents is this, I guess we should really focus on her dad first, because we'll talk about her mom in the next mm-hmm. section. But like, her dad, like, she doesn't even know that he's her dad before the book starts. And then- Yeah, like, by claiming to be her uncle, he gets to be, like, around, but not responsible. Yeah, which is this awful dynamic, like... Right, so he's not, he's not being, like, cool dad who comes in every couple of years and gives her a bunch of presents. He is still very distant uncle. Right. Who is like, you should be learning this thing. Here's a present. (laughs) I'm going back to the wilderness. (laughs) Like, like... Yeah, no, that's that's it. That's all that happens. And it's this it's 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 weird. Like like you're saying, like, he's not even he's not even trying to be the cool, fun uncle. He just wants and like, he's not trying to deny that they're related. Mm -hmm. And which really honestly just gives him an excuse to control her life when he's there and like, control her education a little bit. Right, because if he's her uncle and her parents are dead, then he has a say in how she's raised. Exactly. But it's not, it's literally shucking all responsibility. Um, because if he doesn't follow through, then who cares? And it's it's the really, honestly, it's the worst because it, it's it's controlling without nurturing and it's it's being part of her life without mattering to her life and it's it's just this really gross like honestly harsh take yeah i'm here for it if i had somebody like this in my life i would rather that they abandoned me Mm -hmm. i would not want this i would not want someone who is only involved enough to have a say but not enough to be important or or care about me or like that would be worse to me personally I would rather just be done with that person than walk away. And and to be fair, um, hmm. Lyra doesn't really like. You know, really when you like, say it like that, that just sounds like a boss. Uh, yeah, it it is. It's it's a conscripted boss, and no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, because it's not like she can get a new job. He's like still her <laughs> right. uncle, he's still related. Yeah, and except he's actually her dad. It's just a really, it's a really bad dynamic. And and then. And it's not like, and she really, and I think honestly, probably the most heartbreaking thing about that situation with them together is that she really looks forward to seeing he is important to her. He's her only living relative as far as she knows at the time. And he does take about as much of an interest in her life as the people she sees every day, which is also tragic. Oh, that's harsh. It's true. Oh, no, you're right. When he's there, he is just as involved as as anyone else at that place. Oh no, I don't I don't like that. I don't have a rebuttal for that. Uh <laughs> I mean, 
it's like, ah. Uh, We're talking about Lyra being neglected, and it's accurate. <laughs> yeah, that's because well, I don't know. I don't know who that's more of an indictment of. Like, oh, the people she sees every day, absolutely. Okay, okay, that's what I was. That's how it felt. I was like, ah, <laughs> if they're as involved as Lord Asriel is, whenever he shows up, that that feels bad. Oh, it's I mean, awful. It's awful that he is barely that involved when he's there, and it's also awful that it's not actually any better with it than the people that, or worse than the people that she sees every day. Yeah, like we kind of we kind of talked about it in our last in our first recording attempt like she does not have a family bond or community feeling with anyone other than her daemon i was about to have a counter for that actually really she feels very bonded to jordan college (laughs) okay (laughs) i don't think that counts that's not a person i as a counter she doesn't have a person who is consistent enough in her life so she feels like the place is the constant presence that takes care of her, kind of. I mean, that's that's not a family communal bond. That's attachment. And I yeah. would argue that those are different. Oh, well, no, no, no that's that's my point. What I'm oh. my point is that <laughs> she's oh, okay. not getting what she should be getting from people. And so oh, she's yeah, yeah, yeah. grabbing it from the buildings because once she because once she leaves like once they're not there for her to like say the names of individual scholars because she's no longer in the building with them she Mm -hmm. refers jointly to the scholars and she frequently refers to jordan college by name without naming a scholar individually Except for Lord Azriel and maybe the head guy, but I don't think she does that much either. For the rest of the book, she talks about how amazing it was at Jordan College with the scholars. Plural, as a group, conglomerate. Yeah, like every year in like middle school, high school, college, whatever, I always had like a favorite teacher that I would talk about. She doesn't even, she lives there and she doesn't have anything like that. She doesn't have a person by name that stands out. All right, moving on to our second topic for Lyra, the active abuse that she receives. So we already talked about neglect, and then now it's the other half where she gets too much attention in a very harmful way, generally. Yeah. So the most benign form of this I see as... uh, when the adults around her see children as tools instead of people. So they're trying to get her to do things, but they're not actively trying to hurt her, but that doesn't stop her from getting hurt. Yeah. Um, It's weird because I just want to point this out. We didn't put this in our notes because I just had this thought. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's weird how it almost comes full circle because we're talking about neglect and then overt almost aggressive abuse right and it's it is kind of interesting that some of the neglect becomes active abuse in a way yes like in our the biggest example of the active abuse well one of the big ones uh so on on like the smaller scale we have adults seeing her as a tool and just trying to manipulate her and then we have her parent kidnapping her (laughs) right which is kind of a it's like first she was completely abandoned by her mother and then she's kidnapped by her mother 
Yeah. Uh, Man, the dichotomy of just... Yeah. Either no attention or a ton of really bad attention. And then the only heroic thing that her mother does in this book is to step in at the last minute to stop her mother's minions from uh, performing intercision on her. And that's that magical castration lobotomy thing. Yeah. So the only positive thing she does is to stop one of her minions from doing a negative thing to Lyra. But even then, like, that's not because she cares. No. It's it's super possessive, and it's very much a, oh, but not my child, kind of like. Right, it's how when someone designs a perfect society that just happens to have a bunch of people on the bottom in a really negative way, they never, ever envision themselves at the bottom of that. Yes, yes, very much. Um, Yeah, so it's like, well, oh, not my child. Right. Of course not. Of course we wouldn't do this to my child. It's just a little cut. It won't do anything. It won't do anything, but don't touch my stuff. It's, yeah. It's just, Uh, it's just really gross. Sorry. Yeah. Well, no, not sorry. Like, it is, it's, it's really gross. And, uh... Just so circling back so that we don't drop it totally, with her being seen as a tool, it goes from super benign stuff like, oh, you know, she's got to find the clown pine and prove that she's the kid from the prophecy. And they're like, okay, she's in the prophecy. She's going to betray someone very close to her. And we'd better not warn her because then the prophecy won't happen. Yeah, like, oh my god. Um, So, 200 pages before it happens, we know she's going to betray someone really close to her, and then at the end of the book, she is responsible for bringing Roger to her father, and then her father kills Roger. Now, I'm, like, textualists may quibble that he didn't kill Roger, Roger fell off of the cliff, but... (laughs) If he hadn't fallen off the cliff, he would have been killed by her father. And so I think morally, it is the intent is identical. Yeah. And then his death was used for the machine anyway. Okay. So what Lord Asriel wanted happened. Yeah. I, all right. So with, I actually want to talk about Roger for a sec. Okay. Yeah. We we kind of touched on this, on the neglect part we've kind of talked about him because we, well we talked about him under his own segment and then no that was tony mccarius roger hasn't had his own segment oh sorry never mind am i thinking of the right person roger is the friend who oh uh, never mind i don't want to talk was... about roger just kidding well we c- no like this I don't is the only place say. um well i mean roger so... was kidnapped just like tony that's, so yeah tony's kidnapped and we see what happens to him roger's kidnapped we don't see what happens to him we can assume that part of it is like Tony, except that he gets rescued when Lyra breaks the kids out of the facility. And then, so Lyra has this emotional ricochet from rescuing him and stopping the thing that happened that happened to Tony that we have discussed at length previously. Stops that fate from happening to Roger after seeing it happen to Tony, or seeing the aftermath of what happened to Tony. And then brings him to her father where she thinks it's going to be safe. And then it happens anyway. So here's here's something that I, I don't know, in my head I keep circling back to. Mm-hmm. Just the seesaw between um, over over aggressive control mm-hmm. of Lyra versus that that just seemingly indifferent neglect, specifically with her parents. Okay. Because both of them really do go from every detail in this thing, you must follow exactly what I want, flipping between that and 
just nothing. So with her parents ricocheting between neglect and active harmful abuse. And and the active harmful abuse is something that, like, neglect, I feel like, is portrayed in the book in a way that makes it very much seem as though they just can't be bothered with having a child. Mm -hmm. Like, they just don't want to bother having a kid. Right. Like, I'll be an uncle, but I'm not going to be your parent. Right. And and I, and then her mother will only be her, be a mother, because she found out that her father was calling himself her father. And, and like, there's this, like, well, if no, I, you can't have her, but I will. But there's, but she doesn't actually care about being Lyra's mom. Right. But the thing, but it kind of goes between that and just, I mean, really, honestly, the active abuse that happens to her, other than magical means, like any, um, like the emotional active abuse and the controlling active abuse, um, mm-hmm. really, honestly, are are just about using her to to give themselves something. Yeah, like helping her kidnap more children. Or selling this idea of this thing that they're going to do. Exactly. And it's interesting to me because a lot of times the depiction of something like that is, I guess, a lot more overt in fiction. Mm-hmm. Whereas as as awful as, as this treatment of her is, the way it's presented in this book is super subtle. And honestly, as a kid, I did not pick up on it. Yeah. At all. I didn't pick up on it from either parent. The neglect or the active? Active. Okay. And it, especially with her mom, I mean, when I was reading this when I was younger, I was just like, oh, this person is a villain because she's making her uncomfortable all the time and that's how villains are. But the controlling aspect, like, I didn't even catch it. Yeah. And so it was interesting rereading this as an adult because I just, like, it, it really stood out to me because... It was, it's just so subtly done, but it's not subtly done in a way that you're not supposed to catch it. It's just not shoved in your face and it's, it's not laid out like clues to a puzzle. It just is the way that they act. Right. And it's just super consistent and it's just kind of the characters. And I don't know. It was just very, very interesting to me to read again and kind of go, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is there the whole time and I didn't even know. Especially because that's the kind of thing that I I tend to be very sensitive to in books. It tends mm-hmm. to like and like not like it bothers me, but like I notice. Yeah. And reading this and realizing that as a kid I did not notice it in this book was uh not really a shock, but it it was definitely a surprise. So. Yeah. So, I don't know. That was interesting. But I just think it's... But then once you notice it, it's almost it's almost emotional whiplash. <laughs> right. Because you're just... You're bouncing back and yeah, forth. Yeah. Just every other chapter, she's got somebody who is ignoring her when they should be paying attention or manipulating every single movement she makes. <laughs> but if you're not <laughs> worried about no whether they should be paying attention to her, then she's just... She's just a kid on an adventure. She's just with a different adult pretty much every chapter yeah. and you're not really thinking about how she really should have been with that adult during this chapter, but they're yeah. doing nothing. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely omnipresent, but subtly done. Yes. Um, all right. On to our wrap-up. So we have our gratuity rating first, and that's whether something is... Okay, don't dealt explain. With- okay. Wait. First, we have our gratuity rating, and what is our gratuity rating for... The content around Tony Macarius. 
Um, well, mostly backstory. Mostly or backstory. Story. Yeah, Tony really like the tragedy of Tony is how off screen his stuff is. Yeah, like it feels so impactful. Very, very off screen, but it 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 matters. Like we don't have his. We don't. There's no scene of his actual intercision. Um, no spoilers. I apologize. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> there's no um, depiction on screen of the very particular dramatic event for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and and with that trauma specifically, we had said before it's kind of moderate. It's kind of almost sanitized. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of it's not really fridge horror, but it's like the less you think about it, the less serious it is but the more you think about what it is the like the more it, it feels but we we had said moderate because there isn't That's really the like very a definition of fridge horror but yeah <laughs> yes all right so then uh lyra being neglected uh um, yes that is i'm gonna go ahead and... so let's call it moderate because we have a lot of things that are very specifically stated as yeah. to its backstory and moderate, because it, we have a, we have a lot of statements about how much she has been neglected, and we like also we can, kind of have some off screen where she's kind of paying attention to it, but it's like she kind of notices afterward that it happened. Yeah, and it's hard to have a very on screen depiction of things not mm-hmm. happening for her, mm-hmm. but. Uh, but it, it manages to it. do that, which is yeah. kind of oddly impressive. Um, yeah. And it's very, it's very kind of almost surreal when you when you think about it later. Um, yeah. Lyra with her more active abuse um, and possessive controlling abuse. Um, this go- is this is so full disclosure. The first time we went through this, we rated this as backstory and off screen. I'm disagreeing with our assessment. Oh, it's severe thinking about it because it's 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 severe and it's very present i think we might have the first time been mixing it up with the neglect that's like we we were lumping them together and the neglect is so backstory and off screen yeah the the ricochet to all of the active stuff it's somewhere between moderate and severe depending on the thing Mm -hmm. but there is a lot because they're either gone or doing way too much. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, I agree so- with severe, and I think it's another one of those where the more you think about it, the worse it is. Yeah. Which which does mean that the more um, the more you have this in your own background, the worse it is. Which tends to be true for a lot of things, but um, it's especially true for something that could just slide by if you're not paying attention to it. Uh. So All while right. we're talking about. Uh, all these traumatic things, whether they're integral to the plot. Um, I did want to go ahead and say a thing that this author is very, very good at. This is a trilogy you, about the loss of innocence that doesn't do you make want you to- lose innocence you haven't lost yet. So that's okay. part of why we're having such different reactions going through all this as adult. <sighs> and I wanted to talk yeah, about this yeah. right here, right in between the gratuity rating and how integral the trauma is, because the the right stuff is backstory. Yeah. And we're about to go through whether individual things are integral or interchangeable or irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But but there's like some really key things where rereading it as an adult, I'm like I didn't know that's what that meant. 
I didn't know that this thing happened in the book, even though it's very clearly what happened. We'll have more (laughs) of that in book two, but there's some things where it's just like, I didn't know that's what was happening. I didn't know that's what they were doing. I didn't realize as a kid certain things and like certain ways that she's being manipulated by adults. Like, Mm -hmm. I missed it. Just because of how very, very well it was handled. It's so it is interesting because that is kind of the theme of these books. Yeah, it's it's a trilogy. And so it's it's, yeah, it's about the loss of innocence explicitly. Yeah, but but more than that, it's about the fact that if you haven't lost that innocence, it's there's a reason. Like yeah, like that's okay too. Like it yeah, will. Ha- it's yeah. like it's inevitable, but but no don't one is going it. to right, 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 right. Yeah. So. Now, on to the particular things of whether they're integral, interchangeable, or irrelevant to the plot. Um, Tony Macarios is interchangeable in the sense that his story is nearly identical to any of a hundred other children at this place. Yeah. But it's very integral to the plot that we saw this happen to somebody. Yes. Before something happened to other characters accurate but he that had happened to him and that his very particular backstory is totally interchangeable but it's emblematic uh lyra's neglect (laughs) lyra's neglect (laughs) yeah uh, lyra's neglect i think is it's hard to have it be integral that things didn't happen, but I feel no, like I feel like that it is, is it, though. And honestly, yeah. again, I'm disagreeing with our previous assessment because we had originally said it was interchangeable. I actually don't. I don't think it is anymore. I think it's also, just. Like, I don't remember our previous assessments. I'm not super worried about what those are. Oh, I'm literally looking at the spreadsheet where I didn't delete anything yet. So okay, <laughs> I just I think am it's not interesting that. Yeah. Um. Well, I kind of by definition have to because I'm filling it out. Okay. Lyra, with physical abuse, this, or, yeah, with active abuse, I think this is also integral. Yeah. It's, it's how the plot happens, essentially. It's how it progresses. Um, he could have done something different, but if you did something different, it would be a very different story. Yeah, it would be a different, it would be a different book at that point. And, you could um, make a story that had a similar point, but it would be oh, a yeah, different story. yeah, but it story. would be a different story. I would argue that it would be book two. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> moving on to whether or not this was treated with care. Uh, Tony, yeah. Yes, yes, I definitely. mean, a- along with the theme of, like, you know, things being not forcing you as a child reading it to lose your nativity right. um, about different things. Yeah, es- Tony was treated with care. Just- just a a device that's used a lot of these books is because it's narrated mostly by the children. You have a child's description of things, and so a lot of the fridge horror is in having a perspective that is not the perspective of a child and realizing the yeah. stuff that is very wrong with how the kid was seeing or describing that particular thing. But if you're mm-hmm. still a kid, it is a very childlike way to describe a bunch of things. Yes. And, and it's just kind that's of good. still how you think, then it doesn't <laughs> twinge or you don't really notice it at all. It's just like, yeah, that's that's how this is. 
why are you looking at me like that? Like, what's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that actually kind of says something about my comment of not noticing, like, <sighs> some things were normal when you're a child, and then when they're not, you pay attention. <laughs> but yeah, and, and it's kind of the same thing, I think, with, I mean, I don't want to lump these all in together because we do want to talk about them separately, but I think with both of our topics, I think with all three of our topics, really, we're going to end up saying the same thing. We're going to end up making the same argument that they're treated with care for the same reason. Yeah. And um, I think given the way this book is done, I think we can go ahead and say all three of these were treated with so much were. care. They really <laughs> So much were. care that you didn't they even notice unless out. it's pointed out to you. Right. They they were they were treated with care. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love these books. I love this author. It's so good. Um, yeah. Yeah. We have notes. We should actually go look for these. We have notes to go read more books by this author for this podcast. We should actually put some on our list. Yeah, we should actually um, do that because very good. love this writing. All right. Point of view of the trauma, Tony and the actor. Yeah. So uh, we, his perspective for the start. Mm -hmm, for the actual, and then, the actual trauma. And then not his perspective for the aftermath and... That's part of that is plot driven, and I don't want to spoil why. Um, but it's, it's, it's we can plot we can driven. go ahead and say that the trauma itself is his point of view, and the aftermath is Lyra's point of view. Yeah. Um, and I think that was done well. Mm -hmm. But also, I think it. I think part of it. It would have been weird if the aftermath had been someone that was not him and was not. Lyra, the main character? Yes. That would have been weird and bad. So if it had to be anybody that wasn't him, I'm glad it was Lyra. But I do think it adds to the poignancy of his story that the aftermath is not his perspective. Yeah. Lyra's, so Lyra's both neglect and act of abuse bounces around between her like perspective of it happening and the adults justifying in their own heads why they either aren't doing something they should be doing or are doing something they should not be doing. Oh, man. Like, a there's lot. a lot. Like, there's so like much a lot, a lot. Oh, my gosh. There's, there's a lot of just hearing an adult going, yeah, I am justified and no one else is. Right. Uh, there's just, yeah, there's, there, it, it's I don't even know I don't even know what else to say about it. It it it's just kind of everywhere. I don't know. It's kind of like a the worst monsters are people sort of yeah. a theme over and over. Um Yep, but yeah. <sighs> okay, so aspiring writer tip. Moving on to happier things. What is our aspiring writer tip for these books? So this book, this first do you one. Aspiring writer tip. Um, mm, I mean, I mean, honestly, I don't think this is what we said before. That's okay. This is the only recording anyone's going to get. That's true. Um, guys, the other one was bad. The other one was so bad. <laughs> People listening, it was so bad. <laughs> it was. It was bad I for a lot of reasons. It was really cathartic to record. <laughs> But it was bad for a lot of reasons. We were just ranting about how bad. We like, were just ranting about things that we liked. Um, yeah. And hated. Uh, yeah. I I almost want to 
kind of go back to the thing that we keep talking about and just say that I love that this is a book that can, a series that can be experienced more than one way. Mm -hmm. And I think that doing that kind of thing intentionally with a book can be really, really cool. And I think that, um, I do think that like any skill, maybe you'll attempt it once and it won't go super well and you have to do it again or revamp or re rework or whatever. But don't be afraid of trying something like this because a book like this is really interesting and it's incredibly simply written. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly simple language. It's not a complicated plot line. It's not complicated uh, word, grammar, structure, vocabulary wise in any way at all. But it's enjoyable and it's enjoyable. thought provoking and deep. Yeah. And it's a book that I read in, I think, middle school. Mm -hmm. And then rereading it as an adult, it's not the same story. I, re I read and this in. It's not in because I remember it from middle school. It's because I am a different person, which makes it a different story to me. And that is an attainable, achievable, very interesting, very fun thing. I'll be honest, this is the kind of book where if it wasn't like that, I wouldn't like rereading it as an adult because I remember all of it. And so what's the point? <laughs> like I did it and I, it's not one of my favorites. It's not the one that I always go back to because I just love it that much. And so if it wasn't a different read as I grew and matured, it just wouldn't be interesting for as long. But it See, is. See, for me, this is one that I read a lot in middle school, several times in high school. I read it again in college, and then <laughs> now I'm reading it a couple years after college. Like, right before we started recording to start this podcast, I got it back after having lent it to a friend for them to read. Like, this has been, like, an active thing on my mind, and it's a trilogy I recommend to people. Yeah. And yet I noticed new things in it when we did this recording, because it's yeah. really good. It's um, just really cool. Favorite non-traumatic thing about the book? Yours or mine first? Mm, you go. All right. So, Eirik Berenson is great. Eirik Berenson is so good. He's the best thing. Uh, I love, I love the scene where he talks to Lyra about making his own soul. And I thought mm -hmm. that just what this book does with like determinism and what is the nature of someone's personality and being and how much control do you have over like who you are, but it doesn't use those words. It just has people with external souls that Mm -hmm. settle into a shape people with internal so souls where if you have like a weird way of looking at people you can see the animal they would have if they lived in this world or i uh, never mind i need to cut that out um <laughs> that's a spoiler uh so just the the way that the, the the way that these books deal with what what do you have to be are you stuck with how you are like i don't remember if it's in this one or not but at some point in this trilogy, they talk uh, about someone who never liked what his daemon settled as and was unhappy for his entire life because of how his soul looked. And um, a thing I know was in this book is uh, when Lyra talks to Eirik about how mm -hmm. bears make their own soul and they make them out of metal. And if something happens to it, they will make a new one. And that just was like, 
really poignant and powerful in this way where if that doesn't grip you, you should just read the book and then it will. And the idea that someone isn't incomplete just because they're different from you. Yeah. And yeah. I just, all of that is so good. And whatever your, uh, like real world stance on souls, I liked having those various ways of it being depicted in this trilogy mm-hmm. and in this book in particular. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite non-traumatic thing about this book is I just I really really the thing that really really resonates with me about Lyra is that it's gonna this is gonna start out sounding traumatic but it's it's legitimately a good thing um promise uh she goes through kind of a lot and instead of internalizing it instead she turns around and watches it happening to other children and steps in to protect them. She does not become the same person, the same type of person that hurt her. Um, And more than that, she actively seeks to prevent that type of thing from happening to other people. And and I will say this too, just kind of adding this in, I I don't think I said this before. Um, When she does this, it's not this like self-sacrificial crusade because there's times where she just does not have the energy and and when those moments happen she doesn't feel like she has to she doesn't throw herself in and use herself up in the process that doesn't happen um she only steps in when she can and when she can physically emotionally and and she takes very intentional um steps to do this it's not a it's not a sword i'm looking for it's not a coping strategy it's a choice and i just think it's really good that's it for the golden compass <laughs> book 1 of an awesome trilogy that everyone should read even if you're just listening to this because you like <laughs> us talking about about random uh, books. About random books that you've never read. You should read this one. Um, read the whole trilogy. Get it on wherever you get audiobooks also, probably, right? Or it's probably, uh, it's probably or on digital there. books. I'm sure it's an audiobook somewhere. Probably is. Patreon goal. Give us $200 and we will send you a <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't at that. Don't, don't do, at that. No, don't, don't that. give us money to send you a book. Also, that would don't be put a- this in the recording. You can't do that. Um... I did think about that being like a very high tier of the book club. <laughs> that seems counterproductive for the person donating. But we sign it. <laughs> oh, wow. I would love to have it at a point where that was something people would actually want. But also, that sounds like a lot to organize. All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. You can email us with questions, comments, or book recommendations at booksthatburn at yahoo.com. Support us on patreon.com slash booksthatburn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout out. You can leave us an iTunes review. This helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.